Good morning, Murray Hill, online and here. Let's join together as we worship in song.
Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for being a God who is bigger than everything, for being in charge, for being God for all eternity. I'm just so thankful that we can trust that you always know, you always know what's on our heart, you always know what's going to happen, and we can trust in you that um, you're working it all out for your good. So God, I just thank you for this time. Ask that you be here, present with us. Help us to focus on you and worship you. And I just pray that whatever truth we need today, that you would make that very clear in our hearts. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Good morning. You guys can take a seat. Welcome. If this is your first time visiting or joining online, we're so glad you're here with us. It's rainy. It's cold. I thought sunshine was coming, and it was spring and flowers, and then today came. But that's okay. It's a good movie day. Drink some tea, eat some spaghetti, whatever warms your heart. We are... Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, Okay. We have a few options for giving. So... If you are joining us online, you can give online. You can go to give.murrayhill.church. You can text to give to 904-441-6422. Or you can mail in your donations to 4300 Post Street right here in Jacksonville, Florida, 32205. So thank you for continuing to to give, to fuel the mission of our church, um, to be able to continue doing the things that we do with online with the Zoom kids and being innovative and how to serve them in new ways and with the youth group being able to come together safely and social distance Um, and then with our other groups and all the things going on, ways we're trying to reach the community this spring and into the summer. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Just two quick announcements for you. The first is next week we will be doing communion. We're gearing up. It's the Easter season. We're preparing to celebrate Easter. So we're going to be doing communion. Um, If you are joining us virtually, we have um, the communion packets that you can pick up in the office. So that's pick it up this week, Monday through Friday, between the hours of 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. If that doesn't work for you, if you need a different time, call us, email us at info at murrayhill.church. We'll make sure that we can get those to you. All right, um, the second announcement is, I can't remember. Oh, oh yeah, this is cool, online membership. So um, we know that uh, we're all not comfortable going out yet, and that's okay, and we absolutely respect that decision. That's okay. You can still be a part of the church, and online membership is available, and that still includes all the things that come with coming to the physical building. There are small groups, um, you can join worship services, different opportunities to connect online. So if you're interested in online membership, please let us know. You can give us um, an email at info at murrayhill.church. We'd be happy to talk about what that looks like for you. Um, so in youth group, we've started a new series um, on the topic of lost and found. So last week, we looked at the parable of the lost sheep. And I know Jay read that, I think, a few weeks ago in service. Um, Just the idea that um, Jesus always seeks us out, even when it feels like we have wandered away or um, are lost. Um, It doesn't matter if it's just one of us. God seeks us out and finds us and wants to bring us back. Um, And just the idea that we can find comfort in no matter where we are in our lives, that that he knows. He knows what we're going through. He cares about what we're going through. He loves us. Um, And that led us to Psalm 139. 
So I'm just going to read verses 1 through 10. Just the idea that God knows everything about us and, and how, how beautiful and intimate that is and allows us to be with him. This is what it says. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God, I'm just so thankful for this truth that you know us. You know every thought before we have it. You know everything that happens before it happens. And I just pray that you would help us to remember that in the good times and in the bad that you already knew and you give us exactly what we need to move forward in those moments. So God, I just pray for these next few minutes as we continue worshiping that our hearts would be set on you and that you would be honored and glorified in what we sing. And it's in your name that I pray, amen. Oh 
Exodus 2, the story of Moses and the burning bush. After God has told Moses to take off his shoes, verse 7, the Lord speaks to Moses and said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I want to ask you if, if you're here in the building, turn around and look at our window. If you're online, if you haven't been in our, our building before, uh, we have a stained glass uh, window and at the center is Jesus Christ. And when we think about God here in Exodus telling the Israelites that he has come down and we see this picture of Jesus who very literally came down. And, and we know Jesus made I am statements. I am the bread of life. And, and we can see right here when Moses is questioning God, are you sure you want me to do this? Are you, sure, are you sure I'm the right people? Verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell him? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am is with us this morning. Let's continue our praise to him.
Father, we come before you and confess this reality that so many times when we pray, so many times when we worship, we forget who you really are. You're the one who spoke the words and out of nothing made everything. You're the one that Isaiah described as being able to measure the universe by the span of his finger or the waters of the earth by the cup of his hand. The one that Jesus described as knowing how many hairs are on top of our heads. So Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus came and made it possible for us to have relationship with you. Now, Father, I pray that as we look at your word, I pray that you give us clarity and wisdom. I pray that today would be transformational for us. And I pray that as we look at the life our king left and how he modeled for us, that we would be confronted with the realities of changes that need to be made in our own lives with your help. So, Father, bless this time and make it everything you want it to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please be seated. So last week we started the journey towards Easter, and um, we're based it on this idea that Jesus gave two really big commands um, that if we, in fact, he said, if you follow these two commands, you have the whole law and the prophets. You know everything that you're supposed to do. 
See, he was confronted one time and asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? And he answered what any good Jewish person would have said. He quoted the Shema, as they call it, from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. It says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. And for the Jewish people, that is the foundational verse that they live by. And they put it on the doorpost of their homes and they touch it in the mezuzah every time they walk in as a reminder that this household lives and exists for God. And Jesus said, that is the greatest commandment. And he said, but the second commandment is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said that all the law and prophets can be summed up in those two things. You love God with everything you have and you love other people. You've got it. That's what I want from you. And it's interesting when you think about it, Christianity is really very simple. Love God and love others. It's just not easy to do. So last week, Jay started this series and talking about how Jesus was faithful in, in his first trial before Caiaphas. And how, and this is me putting words into Jesus' head, how those knuckleheads couldn't, couldn't con convict him of anything. And so I see him standing there going, oh, good grief, I've got to do this for them. And so he, says, he makes a declaration of his God, his, his, uh, his deity, and so they decide to kill him. But it was in that moment that he chose to be faithful to the Father and love God with everything that he had to put the needs of the Father and what the Father desired above his own needs. And so today we're going to move on in the story. And we're going to see a part of the story where he loved others and loved the Father with everything he had. Now, we need to set up the story, a little bit of the background. From that trial, he went on and, and he was, as we know, uh, convicted to die. But, but in that, Jesus had just had the worst possible day ever. Right? The first thing that happened is one of his followers, one of his inner circle guys, one of the 12 that had followed him, turned him in for 30 pieces of silver. I don't know if you've ever been betrayed by someone close to you and the hurt that comes with that, the emotional baggage that comes along with that, take that and multiply it by a thousand. That's what Jesus experienced from Judas Iscariot, who he invested three years of his life into. Not long after that, the leader of the disciples, the leader of the 12, Peter, the, the one who was supposed to be the rock, the strong one, denied even knowing who Jesus was. And now it seems that all of the people that had followed him or closest to him are, are turning his back on them. And then he goes through the realities of trials that are, are, are farces, if you will, and he's falsely convicted of something he didn't do. And then they blindfold him. And they hit him in the face and say, prophesy, prophet, tell us who hit you. Then they turn him over to the Romans, and, and Pilate tried to have him whipped so that he could just let him go. And to be whipped by the Romans was a, was a horrendous thing. And, and to get 40 lashes from the cat of nine tails, which is nine leather pieces of uh, uh, that are connected to a, to a handle, and on the end there are sharp pieces of metal or bone that go into your back and pull the skin off. It was believed that 40 lashes would kill you. 
Jesus got 39. They put a crown of thorns on his head and, and blood was just pouring all out of his body. And this was the day he was having as we pick up the story of King Jesus. So turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 23. We're going to read verses 26 through 31. If you're in the room using the Pew Bible, it's page 1059. And, and keep in mind everything I just told you about the background of the day. This is what's happening. Luke chapter 23, verse 26. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For as people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? So we're going to spend most of our time on 28 through 31, but, but on the road up there, I want you to see a couple of things. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way from the country, and put the cross on him. Jesus had lost so much blood and had so little energy. Part of, part of the execution was he had to carry the instrument on which he would be crucified, but he was physically unable to do so. He was so beaten and so torn and so unable so lacking energy, he couldn't move forward. So they had somebody else carry the cross. And this Simon of Cyrene guy, Cyrene is, is Libya, current day Libya. It says he came in from the country. People from all over the world, Jews from all over the world were in Jerusalem. And more than likely, he was just camping outside of the city because there was no place to stay in the city. And he'd come in from outside the city and randomly selected. Interesting side note. Mark writes about Simon and says he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. And scholars believe that Alexander and Rufus, his two boys, became prominent leaders in the church in Rome. And so if that's the case, then Simon and his boys became followers of Jesus through this whole thing. Pretty interesting to follow that through. Anyway, it goes on verse 27. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Now, there are two groups of people that scholars believe that make up these women. The first would be the ones who had actually been following him. If you read the story about the women, many of the women were taking money and supporting the ministry, keeping it going, and they were being very faithful with that. And, and they would have been a part of those mourners who were so upset that the one they were following is being killed. But also in Jewish culture, the, the idea there was uh, professional mourners, if you will. So when someone died, there would be women who would come to your house and they would cry and weep with you and they would comfort you as best they knew how and so when someone was being killed even a criminal they would weep and well following them to somehow support them in this journey so so we have jesus can't carry his cross having the worst day possible his world is falling apart nothing good is happening that day and the women are crying and wailing, and here's what he does. Verse 28, Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, 
Do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Jesus stops in the middle of what is called the Via Della Rosa, the, the way of suffering, on his way to Golgotha, which is the place of the skull where they would kill him. And he looks at the crowd and he hears the women crying. And he stops in the middle and he turns to them. We don't know, in Hollywood's version, he's on his knees and he does this. We don't know if he was standing or kneeling. But he looks at the women and said, don't cry for me. Cry for yourself and your kids. Because, yeah, I'm suffering right now, but what's coming your way is much worse. See, Jesus was looking forward to 70 AD when the Romans would come in and they would wipe out Jerusalem and destroy the temple. And he was looking forward to that time when the Jewish people would be running for their lives and they would be terrified. And, and Jesus looked at them and said, there is coming a time when you are going to wish you didn't have children. Do you know how bizarre that would be for a Jewish woman to hear that? In that time, in that culture, you had your value based on the man you were married to and how many children you had. But Jesus said, it's going to be so bad. It's going to be so horrible. You're going to wish you didn't have kids. Don't cry for me. Cry for yourself. And I want us to see that King Jesus, in the midst of this horrible day, he looked around him and he saw the needs of the people and he loved them. And we need to see, hear this carefully, that no matter how much we suffer, it never negates our responsibility to love people. See, Jesus taught it, and then as a great leader, he lived it. On a day when it would have been so easy for him to say, you know, I got my own stuff. They're killing me here, literally. I'm dying. But he looked at the women, and there was compassion in his heart, and there was a love that was so overwhelming, he had to minister to them. See, I don't know how you are, but when bad things happen to me, typically the last thing on my mind is your problems. I got my own stuff. I know that's not a good thing for a pastor to say, but it's real. Because when we're hurting and the doctor sits down and gives us bad news, the last thing that we're thinking about is, how can I help use this to help other people? Right? When the boss comes in and says, you've lost your job, the, the last thing on your mind is to think, how can I use this horrible situation to help other people? But yeah, King Jesus, that's what he did. And he modeled for us this reality that no matter how bad it was, no matter how difficult it was, he couldn't stop loving because that was the call. That was his job. It's been a while back, and, and those of you who have been around, you're going to remember this story. But we used to have a man who went to church here. He has now passed away by the name of Robert Jones. Now, Robert was blind. And Robert was a big man. I don't know any other way to say it. I don't use the term big man lightly. Okay, you got to be a big man for me to be impressed with your size. All right? Robert was about 6'7", 
And if he weighed an ounce, he weighed 325 pounds. He was a big man. He had a car wreck as an adult, lost his eyesight. And he was so incredibly bitter with God. He was angry. And he was so frustrated that he couldn't see, and, and, and he, his just whole attitude of life was just negative all the time. He just was angry. Well, he ended up going to a, a Christian camp for blind folks with some of our people. I know, Miss Edith, you were a part of that. And he met Jesus. Changed his life completely. It was phenomenal as he became a follower of Jesus. And I had the privilege of baptizing Robert, and I was terrified of that. He's a big man. So I said, i got to have some help. It's going to take two of us. And it, and it did. And uh, we, we have this video. I, I don't know if we still have it, but we had a video of it. And we took him down and we brought him back up. And I don't know any other way to describe it, but his face was angelic. And then he decided to hug me. And as I was crying, I was terrified because I looked like a, a four-year-old in the hands of his dad just engulfed me. But it was such a beautiful thing. See, his life situation hadn't changed. The difficulties hadn't changed. But he changed. And he became on a mission to, to minister and help people who were having trouble with their disabilities and intervene for them and help them however he could. It, he just, it was phenomenal transformation of an individual. Please hear me. When heartache and difficulty come our way, there is an initial emotional response that is very natural and real. When we hear bad news or something horrible takes place, there is within us fear, anger, frustration, hurt, whatever it is, it is so real and so powerful. And it's legitimate to have that. It's not legitimate to hurt other people when that happens, but it is legitimate to have that. But that initial wave of despair and hopelessness, it will begin to subside. For some people, it'll be an hour. For some people, it'll be a year. But it will begin to subside. And as followers of Jesus, please hear me. No matter what takes place in this life, we never lose the call to love people. No matter how hard it is for us. Jesus said, hey, follow me, simple. Love God, love people. Sometimes it's not easy. And our king modeled for us in such a beautiful way. I need to stop here, and I need to talk to these ladies because I know what's coming for them, and I hurt for them. And I want them to be prepared. Just a beautiful picture of him modeling how we're supposed to be and living out what he taught. Well, that's not the only thing that he did. So he goes on, and not only does he continue to love people when he's suffering, he also becomes faithful and remains faithful to the call of the Father and what he's supposed to do. So here's what he does in the, in the next verses. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. That's a quote from Hosea chapter 10. 
He said, for if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Jesus there wasn't just talking to the women. He was talking to everybody. And he was having a prophetic utterance, if you will, straight from the Father. He had one more responsibility before he made it all the way to Golgotha. And he had to warn the people, look what's coming. And the reason that it's coming, and the reason you're going to want the mountains to fall on you, is because you've been unfaithful. That verse 31 is a, is a very weird verse in the Greek, and I'm, I'm talking about stuff I don't really understand when I say things like that. <laughs> but, but you read the scholars who have researched it, and there's multiple different possibilities on what in the world Jesus meant. And I think the bottom line is this. As Jesus said, if the Father is willing to let his Son suffer this way, what's going to happen to those who are his followers who have been unfaithful? And so Jesus declares to the people, you need to get your stuff straight. You need to understand that what's happening to me is nothing compared to what's coming. And you need to run back to the Father, and you need to be reconnected to him. And, and he had this one last assignment on the road to Golgotha to say, listen, people, this is serious. I have this two-sentence sermon you need to hear. You need to run back to the Father. And there, again, with an opportunity to be self-focused and focus on his issues and his own problems and what he was going through, he remembered that the big picture of following God was more important than his own comfort, his own health, and his own emotions, and his own feelings. So our suffering does not negate our responsibility to love the Father. See, I think sometimes we get so caught up in life that we lose the big picture. The big picture that I exist, the very reason I exist, is to bring honor and glory to God. And even when I suffer, it is my job to bring honor and glory to God. Again, it's simple. It's just not easy. I'm reminded of David before he was king. He became Saul, King Saul's top general. And they were having a victory parade one day, and the women were shouting, Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul was ticked off. And inwardly, he was full of rage and jealousy. And for whatever reason, instead of celebrating David's victories, he decided David needed to die. His jealousy was so strong and so powerful, he stopped doing king stuff and started doing jealousy stuff. And so he took his army and chased after David all over the country, and David would hide in caves and, and these sorts of things. And David had multiple opportunities to kill Saul. There was one time he snuck into a cave where Saul was sleeping, and he stole Saul's spear and a container that he had. And he snuck out, and the next morning from across the valley, he said, Hey, guys, I could have killed him. But I didn't. He has to know my love for him. And another time, he snuck in and did the same thing and cut a piece of Saul's robe off and said, Hey, look, I could have killed him. 
And the people that are with David were saying, why don't you kill him? Because you're going to be the king. Why don't you kill him and take his place? And David's response was always this. He is God's anointed king. I will never kill him. And David, at that point, living as a man after God's own heart, said, I won't get ahead of God. I will stay focused on what he wants. You see, it made all the sense in the world for David to go ahead and kill Saul and just take his place. But in the long run, it worked out to unify the country that he didn't. And he trusted God's plan, even though it didn't make sense. So here's what I want us to hear. I don't know what God's going to bring our way. He's going to bring into your life or allow to come into your life. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what difficulties are down the road. But if you've lived long enough, you know difficulties are eventually going to come. And we're going to have good days and days that we celebrate and days that are awesome and, and, and days that are just fantastic. But they're, they're going to be difficult times because life does that. And I think as we grow in faith, we have to come to the point where when those hard times come and that initial, that initial emotional response, the wave of it is gone, we need to grow in faith to the point where we can stop and kneel before God and say, how do you want to use this? Who can I help with this? And we may have to start with the prayer, give me a desire to want to help somebody with this. But how do you want to use this reality in my life for your kingdom's sake? You see, that's one of the great things about Jesus. He, he didn't just say it. He modeled it. And when the chips are down and when things were absolutely miserable at, their, at the peak of the horror, He remained faithful to the call. And the call is the same for us. To love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. And to love people. And it's not just when we feel like it. It's all the time. Because that's what the king's kids so I just want to challenge you, and I really want to encourage you today that whatever you're going through, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how frustrating it may, may be, no matter how heartbreaking it may be, God may be up to something amazing around you. That's why James wrote when he wrote, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. God's up to something. And so we continue to love both God and people even when life stinks. And it will impact the world when we do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that no matter what we go through, no matter what we face, that you know the outcome. And that we can trust you. And Father, we, we know 
that you're working all around us. And we know that sometimes you allow difficulties into our lives so that we can minister to other people. Sometimes it's for our own spiritual development, but sometimes it is to love people in ways we never thought that we could. And so, Lord, I pray that we never lose sight of our calling to love God and love people with everything we have. We thank you that in those hard times you don't abandon us. We thank you that you carry us through if we will just lean on you. And we thank you that you want to use us to make an impact. So, Father, give us what we need to face difficulties in a way that brings you glory. Father, I pray for anyone in this room or anyone who is watching who is going through a difficult time. I pray that you give them strength and perseverance. I pray that you help them to trust that you are up to something really awesome. Give them what they need to make it through and show them clearly how you want to use this in their lives and in the lives of those around them. Now, Father, I pray that you bless this time, and I pray that it would bring you honor and glory. I pray if there's anyone who is participating in this service who does not know you, that today you would draw them to yourself, as only you can. And it's in that wonderful and precious name of Jesus I pray. Amen. This story of the crucifixion is a story about us. Jesus went through everything that he went through. He suffered all that he suffered. He gave up everything here in this world so that you and I could be children of God, as John wrote. And maybe you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. I need you to know, I need you to hear me say that no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what mistakes you have made, no matter what your background is, you are never so far away from God that you can't be made right with Him. And if you're watching this or you're here in person and you've never asked Jesus into your life, I pray that today you would. In a minute, we're going to sing and, and invite you, if you're in the room, to come to the Welcome Center. And let's, let's talk about faith and what it looks like and what it means. What does it mean to have Jesus in my life? If you're watching online, you can text the number on your screen. Someone will respond to you, or you can email us at questions. But if you know down deep inside of you that you need Jesus in your life, then respond. Most important decision you'll ever make. Maybe you're here or watching, you're already a follower of Jesus and God has put on your heart that you need to be officially a part of this community of faith. Invites you to, to make that decision. If you're here, you can come by the Welcome Center when we're done and we'll talk about that and what it means. Online, same thing. Text or send an email. We'll respond to you. Or maybe today you've been reminded as, as I have been no matter what goes on in my life or this world, 
is still all about Jesus. And maybe today is a day to reconnect to that reality. However God is, however the Spirit is leading you, I invite you to respond today as we stand and sing together. Thank you for joining us today. Normally, we would adjourn right now, and if you need to go, whether you're online or whether you're here in person, that's completely fine, but I'm going to invite Susan Lear up, and she's going to conduct a very brief meeting um, about something of interest to the church in next year. Uh, if you do choose to leave, it will still be online for you to see if you want to look at it on YouTube. Am I on?
Yeah, I am. Great. I wanted to take a few minutes and inform all of you about a grant opportunity that we have for our church. The grant um, relates to providing an opportunity for our congregation to be strengthened by allowing our pastor to have some time away from the daily obligations of ministry. This, this grant opportunity would pay for us to allow a sabbatical for our pastor. He is going to have his 20th anniversary with us next year. Yeah, 20 years. And we want him to, to stay with us. Doug, how about another 20? Okay. All right. Yes. So this grant opportunity um, requires certain things of the church. The, the grant is for $50,000. And it would pay for Doug and Ladine to, to go away and have an opportunity for reflection, renewal, and to come back to us with a fresh word from God to lead us into our future. The grant requires um, us to meet with different groups in the church. So I've been meeting, Doug and I both have been meeting with um, our Bible study groups. We've been meeting, we met with the deacons, we're meeting with the standing committees, and we're meeting with you. Everybody has to know about this and participate. So um, I will have, I have a handout up here and I have a handout in the back when you leave. What we're looking for are your ideas and your input. The grant is due April 21st, so we don't have a lot of time. We won't know if we get the grant until the end of August, at the end of this summer. This would be for next year, not this summer, but next summer. And this uh, foundation is the Lilly Foundation. They um, have done a lot of research about um, how pastors can become renewed to help their congregation. And they recommend a longer period of time for the pastor to get away than a shorter period of time. And so this sabbatical would be for roughly three months. And while Doug is gone, we have certain things that we need to be doing. We're looking at ways to prepare for his um, being gone. And while he is doing his reflections and renewing, we too have to do that as well. So I am seeking your input into what we would be doing during this period of time, not this summer, but next summer. Some of the ideas that we have come up with and I've uh, gotten from other people in these different groups we've been meeting with, one of the things is we have not done an update on the demographics in our community in four years. So that's something we're looking at. Another thing that we're looking at is what are the kinds of activities that we will be doing while he is gone that lead us to reflection and lead us to renewal. 
we have a theme that kind of runs through the whole grant that reflects what we're doing and what Doug is doing. And Doug is gonna come up in a few minutes and share with you some of the things that he would like to do while he is gone. But our role is to figure out what we're going to do in our process of reflecting and renewing ourselves. And the third, we're looking at three R's for our theme, reflection, renewal, and the third R we're still trying to decide on, so maybe you could help us with that. Uh, some of the ideas we've had, uh, one of them is revival. That's kind of an older word, but has some meaning, uh, obviously. Another word we're thinking about is recommitment to Christ and serving the community. Uh, one that was suggested yesterday on our prayer walk and looking at our community and the needs that they have. Uh, a lot of homes around here need repairs and restoring. So a suggestion was restoration. So I'm looking for activities that relate to these ideas. One of the ideas that have, has been suggested is a reboot, if you will, of our um, Operation Neighbor. Uh, for those of you who remember that, um, you know what that is. For newer people that might not know, that's where the church divides itself and to different groups, and each group decides on an activity that they would do to serve the community. Uh, some of the ones that have been done in the past are things like one group um, uh, revitalized the, the front of the elementary school down the, down the way here, Ruth and Upson. We um, uh, redid the, the, all of the... Uh, landscaping. Um, another group did food for, um, hand at, handed out food to uh, homeless people. Uh, we even had a very challenging group one year that re-roofed a house for an, a couple that uh, had no, no way of getting that done and their house was leaking. They weren't even members of the church. So this is about serving the community and what can we do to renew ourselves? The grant is very specific on things that it requires. Um, out of the $50,000, we're allowed to keep $15,000 that we can spend on needs the church might have while uh, Doug is away. One idea would be some mini grants that would help on those, uh, if we did the Operation Neighbor, that would help fund some of those kind of activities where we might need some money. Another idea would be to pay to bring in someone to speak to us about evangelism, maybe Evangelism 101, a couple of Sundays of that. Um, so these are some of the ideas that we're looking at and I'm going to be up here today. I don't expect you to figure everything out right now, but I'll be here next Sunday down at the front. So if you think about this this week and come up with some ideas that you would like to share of what we as a congregation can do to um, reflect and have a period of renewal and the activities that we would do to achieve those goals so that um, we can be revitalized. 
Doug, would you like to come up and tell the congregation what you might like to do with this All right. Thank stepping you, away? One last thing I'll mention is that while Doug is gone, the grant would require that he have no contact with us, which I think is a hard thing for him. But the idea is that he would have a complete break to get away and receive that fresh word from God. I got one. Thank you. Um, so I'm, first of all, let me thank Susan. She's been working very tirelessly getting this ready, and so thank you for your effort on that. I, I'm thankful to the elders as well. When I presented this to them, they were fully supportive of it. Um, we've been doing this for 33 years, um, not all here, um, and, um, but one of the things that, that I want to do is finish well and really think that this is an opportunity to uh, revitalize internally and, uh, and uh, deepen the pool of understanding. So just uh, several things that we're thinking about doing. Uh, one is taking a trip to the Holy Land. I've never been. And, um, Every pastor friend I have who has been says it changes everything about your understanding of who Jesus was, etc. So um, anyway, that is something that I can share with you. Um, and then I also will take a prayer retreat. Don't really know where yet, but uh, just a time of prayer and fasting where God will give me some clarity for the, the next 10 years. And then um, we're going to go to Oxford and take a class. Um, always just a dream of mine to, to take a class at Oxford. So... Uh, that would be the third thing that we would do. Anyway, uh, that's what we're looking at, and uh, we're prayerful and hopeful that uh, God could use those things and really think they would be things that would help us, obviously, but also would help us as we invest in you. So anyway, if you have any questions at any point, please ask. And um, otherwise, let's stand together, have a word of prayer, and we'll get out of here. Thank you for your time. Father, we thank you so much that you are a faithful God. We thank you that you love us. We thank you for the opportunities that you give us. Please help us to serve faithfully and to follow you and be who you want us to be as we live this life for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.